Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 7, Episode 18, The Art and Architecture of the Kamakura Period, Bonus Episode. It was once understood that the Kamakura period was a time when the warrior class achieved absolute dominance over the imperial court and essentially squeezed the kuge out of politics. As we have seen this season, modern scholarship informs us that the story is not quite so simple. The early bakufu had no traditional standing, and so they relied on the court to provide legitimacy and ensure the cooperation, however grudging, of those areas of Japan not directly under shogunate control. While the Heian period was defined by grandiose aesthetics that sometimes approached opulence, the Kamakura period was defined artistically by a mingling of tastes between the samurai and kuge. Artists, artisans, and builders now had a new class of potential patrons, and so their work naturally reflected the tastes, sensibilities, and character of whomever contracted them. The Shinden Zukuri style that had become so prevalent among aristocrats of the Heian period would be adopted and adapted by the burgeoning class of administrator samurai. While the Heian period Kuge preferred a series of buildings connected around a central garden or manicured scenery, the samurai version, called Buke Zukuri, preferred the various rooms clustered together, eschewing a wide central space for the sake of defensibility and practical land utilization. As a given samurai would become more influential, he might expand his household to include more retainers. Common wisdom of the day was to keep these sworn men close at hand, both in case of attack by an enemy, and also to keep their followers under a close watch. It was thus necessary to occasionally expand one's house by building on additional rooms to house a growing body of retainers. The quarters in which those retainers would be housed were referred to as hirobisashi, but there were many rooms in a functioning bukezukuri house. Generally, there was a reception room called a dei, as well as a tsubone, or common room. The room called Takibinoma featured a fire pit, and there was also a study, or gakumonjo, as well as a chapel, or jibutsudo, containing wooden tablets which memorialized the samurai's ancestors, as well as Buddhist statues and other implements of private worship. Aside from the kitchen, or daidokoro, the rest of the rooms were generally dedicated to the samurai's warrior lifestyles, including the saikusho, or armory, umaya, which was a stable, and sometimes a babaden, or horse training room. The exterior of the bukezukuri house might feature a palisade, much like the compounds utilized by the warriors during the Heian period, as well as manned watchtowers called yagura. The house itself was made of mostly wood and featured sliding interior and exterior doors. More well-to-do samurai might live in houses which were closer to Shindenzukuri style, featuring a well-tended garden in its interior, but the middle-ranked warriors who commanded warbands would have to make do with their hybrid compounds. While the average Kamakura period samurai lived in somewhat spartan surroundings, 
the wealthy among both the Kuge and the warriors continued to fill their living spaces with beauty. Painted hand scrolls called emakimono had existed in Japan since at least the 700s, but the Kamakura period is said to be the golden age of emakimono. The previous iterations of emakimono were later categorized as Yamato-e style, and generally featured a few key subjects, often historical figures or characters from fiction. The backgrounds of the Yamato-e scrolls were given little detail and gradually faded into a kind of marginal void as it approached the scroll's edge. These scrolls are very similar in style to those created in China under the Tang Dynasty, which is around the time this art form traveled to Japan via traders and immigrants. The Yamato-e style was already becoming varied through subgenres by the later Heian period, with the two major categories being onna-e and otoko-e. Onna-e, literally women's paintings, featured constructed lines which formed regular shapes for things like houses. It is believed that its name came from the fact that it generally depicted a series of famous scenes from fiction, most of which was written by women like Murasaki Shikibu. The tale of Genji inspired many an emakimono, but many other stories also received visual translation as well. Otokoe style, literally men's paintings, depicted famous battles from wars of the past, and was characterized by a more chaotic, less structured line which depicted motion and had a fluid, active quality. The emakimono during the Kamakura period display a notable synthesis of these two elements, with battle scenes now featuring buildings and structures, usually being consumed by vibrant orange and yellow flames. Likewise, scenes featuring illustrations of fictional stories would portray their subjects as walking or performing some manner of dramatic movement. Emakimono would be rolled up in storage most of the time, but when a high-ranking samurai or influential kuge entertained guests, the scroll could be rolled out on the floor to be appreciated. In addition to flat-weighted ink lines, varied calligraphic lines were employed where useful, and a host of washing techniques were used for shading and for creating gradient splashes of vibrant color. The political foibles of yesteryear were popular subject matter for emakimono. Our old friend Sugawara Michizane appeared in a famous scroll that recounts his life story, including his incarnation as the vengeful thunder god Tenjin. Religious stories likewise began to proliferate into emakimono as emerging Pure Land Buddhist schools like Joroshinshu turned to scroll paintings as an evangelistic tool to teach prospective converts about their doctrines and beliefs. The use of emakimono as testimonials did not end with religious thought. You may recall that the samurai Takezake Suenaga commissioned the creation of an emakimono called the Moko Shurai Ekotoba, which portrayed the heroic feats he performed during the Mongol invasions. The preservation of that scroll has provided historians with much better conceptualization of those incidents than the written records. While we have already discussed the political changes wrought by the Mongol invasions, the struggle against the Yuan dynasty inspired another important change in Japanese history, the creation of a new kind of sword. While the samurai tactics generally revolved around individual horse archery duels, the Mongol way of attacking en masse forced the warriors of Japan to adapt in kind. 
The battles on and around Kyushu often resulted in hand-to-hand combat with swords, and the results for the samurai were often very poor. The long, sharply curved Tachi-style cavalry sword, which had been used since the Middle Heian period, frequently proved inadequate against Mongol armor. The long blade tended to bend or break in the heat of battle, and many samurai brought their bent and broken blades to Kamakura, and the shogunate agreed that something needed to be done to improve national armaments. The Bakufu summoned many reputable swordsmiths from the smithing schools in Yamashiro and Bizen provinces to address this concern. They gathered in Sagami province, where Kamakura is located, and worked toward combining the best elements of both sword schools to make better blades. A smith named Shintogo Kunimitsu is generally credited with founding this new school called the Soushu School. While primarily known for his tanto blades, his understanding of metallurgy and his constant striving for refinement and improvement left quite an impression on his students. Among them was Yuki Mitsu, Norishige, and Masamune, who would become the most famous of Kunimitsu's pupils. Though little is known for certain about his family and personal life, Masamune was an incredibly important figure in Japanese weaponry. He forged his blades with an eclectic mix of various regional techniques, especially those of Bizen and Hoki provinces of Chugoku. His swords were shorter than the traditional tachi, but much stronger, as he employed a differential hardening process that created a firm, sharp blade with a soft core and spine. The softer metal, while still quite hard to the touch, was useful in shock absorption and contributed to the overall durability of the weapon. It is impossible to say which smith first conjoined these various techniques to create durable, battle-worthy blades that better served the warrior class, but Masamune's were certainly, um, a cut above the rest. Kept for centuries afterward as family heirlooms and precious treasures, a Masamune sword was highly prized and would become a status symbol for later samurai. His students and apprentices would continue his traditions and make names for themselves as well. Many blades of his creation, as well as those of his students, now reside in national museums and are kept oiled and in good condition. The Soshu school swords were such a perfect combination of function and beauty that their designs were copied for many centuries afterward. It is not an exaggeration to say that the modern katana was created in the latter 1200s, and that its basic shape and use would change very little over time. The final area of aesthetic development which deserves our attention is Buddhist temples and monasteries. You may recall that in the early days of the Kamakura shogunate, the Bakufu under Minamoto Yoritomo expended a large amount of funding, labor, and political capital in the reconstruction of long-standing temples which had been destroyed during the Genpei War. Under the watch of a monk named Chogen, This rebuilding effort would also be an opportunity for introducing new architectural styles. Chogen was a well-traveled monk who had made many trips to China and operated freely in both Shingon and Tendai spaces. His historical reputation is close to that of Gyoki, the Buddhist monk of the Nara period who is credited with both compassionate humanitarian works and organizing the construction of many temples for early Buddhist communities throughout Japan. The previous style of temple building was called Wayo, 
which literally means Japanese style, and was characterized by simple construction and plain adornment. The timbers of such buildings were often left unpainted, and when paint was employed, it was applied plainly as solid colors, often red and white. Chogen, however, had been inspired by the architecture he enjoyed in Song Dynasty China, so he directed that the new Great Buddha Hall of Todaiji should be built with a similar appearance. The resulting style was originally called Tenjikuyo, which means Indian style, though this was later renamed because the style has nothing to do with India. It is remembered instead as Daibutsuyo, or the Great Buddha style. It is characterized in part by long, slender tie beams which pass through the layers of latticework supports which were cut thick so that they would be more noticeable and were made to expand far beyond the usual edge of their walls so that the roofs could be built bigger and more grandiose. There can be little doubt that this overly decorative style was at odds with the usually simple Japanese aesthetics, and Daibutsuyo did not catch on very much beyond Chogen's lifetime, but was enfolded into the Wayo style to form what architecture historians refer to as Shinwayo, or New Japanese Style. However, Shinwayo wouldn't really emerge until the Muromachi period, which is next season. Meanwhile, Zen Buddhism made its mark on Japanese religion in more ways than one. Zen temples were likewise inspired by Song Dynasty architecture, and the style with which they were built, called Zenshu-yo, shared some similarities with Daibutsu-yo. Both feature the tie beams which penetrated the lattice supports, but Zenshu-yo style featured ostentatiously decorated roofs with more pronounced curves and more extreme elevation. Zen temples featured two decorative symbolic gatehouses which visitors and practitioners would walk beneath. The Somon, which is a simple entrance gate, and the much larger and more elaborate Sanmon, or Gate of Three Liberations. The second story of the Sanmon usually features statues of Shakyamuni, Kannon, and other important Buddhist deities and guardians. Within the temple grounds lay a main hall and other buildings typically present in Buddhist temple compounds, with one notable exception. Completely absent from Zen temples was a pagoda. While this was something of a departure from other sects, in truth the importance of pagodas had been waning for some time. Even before the emergence of Zen, Joroshinshu, and other important schools of the Kamakura period, relic veneration had started to fall out of fashion with the rank and file of the Buddhist establishment. The buildings of a Zen temple were typically more elongated than their counterparts at more traditional schools to allow for more students to practice sitting meditation. While the pagoda may have been in decline, the sculpting of statuary continued to be in high demand. The Kamakura period saw the emergence of the Kei school of sculpture, which was centered around Nara, the old capital. The rebuilding of Todaiji and other classic temples required new statues to replace the old, and the organizers of the rebuilding effort turned to a monk named Unke for help. Unke was part of a long line of Buddhist sculptors, being both devout and well-trained in the traditional manner of statue-making. 
While his work is very much in line with his predecessors, his statues and other works of the K school possess some intriguing innovations which set them apart. Many of the statues created by the K school contain a much stronger element of realism than the distant, austere statues which preceded them. The expressions are clearer, while the anatomy and musculature are better proportioned and dynamically posed. Older works tended toward revered distance, but K-School creations were less idealized and much more human. It was a K-School innovation to use gems with dark centers in the place of the statue's eyes, which made their creations seem like living avatars of the bodhisattvas, buddhas, and deities which they represented. The Bakufu took notice of the fine work the K-School was doing in Nara and arranged for them to create statues for many temples across the nation. Some consider the K-School, and by extension the Kamakura period, as the absolute pinnacle of Japanese sculpture. Certainly the Kamakura period witnessed many changes in Japanese aesthetics. In some cases this meant simplification of supposed Heian period excess, though it is a mistake to assume that the only influence exerted by the newly empowered samurai was austerity. The vibrant development of Emaki Mono paintings, as well as the luxurious construction and reconstruction of temples new and old, indicate that aesthetic appreciation was still at the center of the lives of Japan's elites, whether they resided in Heian-kyo or Kamakura. Next time, I will read excerpts from the Taiheiki, which tells a highly dramatized version of the Mongol invasions of Japan. Until then, thank you for listening. If you would like access to exclusive bonus episodes, as well as ad-free versions of the regular episodes, please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash ahistoryofjapan. 